The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. And on today's show, as we continue to talk about what the Giants did in free agency, how that opens up the board for them in the draft, and looking ahead to uh, what kind of team the Giants might be in 2021, I'm joined by former Minnesota Vikings Executive of the Year, Jeff Diamond to uh, to help us break it down. Jeff, thanks for uh, for coming by. Always happy to be with you, Ed. Thank you. Hey, you know we always we always like talking to you. We always like getting uh, getting some of your your insight. And just quickly, you know, a generic sort of sort of opening question here for you. We're obviously through the the big part of free agency. Just your thoughts on what the Giants accomplished here. You know, they got Leonard Williams on a long-term deal. They brought in Kenny Galladay to be their their number one wide receiver uh, on an old-fashioned visit of all things. And, and then right. they then they spent big money on, on a Dory Jackson. Also brought in some other players. Just your thoughts on 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 what the Giants accomplished here. Yeah, I think that they've done some good things in free agency. I think that certainly getting Leonard Williams signed to a long-term deal was important for them and a priority. And and he had an excellent year last year. The question is, in a non-contract year, can he keep it at that level and even get better as time goes on? That's always the concern that I had as a GM or as a president, that when a guy in a contract year has that big year, can he sustain it? Can he keep the motivation? And hopefully that'll be the case for Leonard Williams, who certainly was a talented player coming out of USC. We all know that as a, as a top 10 pick. And I like Kenny Galladay. It, it could prove to be an overpay in the final analysis, but they had to do what they had to do in the market. And the $18 million a year deal is certainly big money and wide receiver won money. And he's a guy that's, <laughs> that has fought some injury issues and, and a little bit of inconsistency over, over his time in Detroit, but, but certainly 
has some explosiveness to his game and, and is a talented player. And I think that he is a good addition to that receiving core that looks like it's really upgraded, especially if a, if a John Ross could stay healthy. I like Slayton. Um, Sterling Shepard has proven to be productive. So I think they've upgraded the weapons for Daniel Jones and then bringing Kyle Rudolph in, who, where I am here based in Minnesota, know Kyle very well and his capabilities. And, and I think he's got a lot of good football left in him. I think he just fell into a situation in Minnesota where they had drafted Irv Smith Jr. and Tyler Conklin the last few years. And those guys were coming on, especially when Rudolph hurt his foot at the end of last season. And that kind of sealed his fate here, especially with the big contract. And so I think he's going to upgrade the red zone capability for, for the Giants and for Daniel Jones. And it's one thing that Evan Ingram last year, as you know well, had only one touchdown reception. And, and so I, I think that Rudolph will help Ingram in that two tight end type approach that so many teams are using around the league right now. And, and, so, and I think, still think Evan Ingram is a very talented player and that Kyle Rudolph will only help his game. And I think maybe show him a few things about what being a pro is all about in terms of consistency, in terms of preparation, and all those things that Rudolph is, is just a great pro on and off the field. So I think that's a good signing for the Giants. And I think another under-the-radar player that our, our agent group IFA represents is Fabio Denable. And as you know, we also represent Tay Crowder, who had a really excellent rookie season for the Giants, which we were really excited about. And Odenabo, I think, is a talented guy. And two years ago, he had seven sacks playing only 33% of the downs for the Vikings. And then last year, I think he suffered a little bit from, from a couple of nicks and, and perhaps uh, not having Daniil Hunter on the other side kind of hurt the entire pass rush for the Vikings. But, but I, I think that, that Afadi still led the Vikings in pressures. And I think he's still a, a really very good football player, excellent pass rusher. I, I think that he is a guy that, that has the capability of really having some big success in New York. And I, I know he's excited about the move. And I've talked to him recently after he signed with the Giants and, and he's excited. And, and frankly, I was surprised the Vikings didn't tender him at 2.1 million as, as a restricted free agent. Uh, that there would have been a cheap tender for them. And but they, they were tight against the cap and decided that they were gonna try to re-sign him for cheaper. It didn't work out. And now he's in New York ends up making more money with the Giants. So I, I think that's a good signing uh, for the Giants. And Adoree Jackson is the one I would question from the standpoint of, of his career production in Tennessee, <laughs> only two interceptions in his first, whatever, three, four years down there. And he was a former first round pick, ha has that great speed, <laughs> but has some injury issues that he's dealt with. And for 13 million a year, I'd want a little more consistency out of a player than, than what his production has been in Tennessee, especially as a corner. And, and as you said, they added some other players that, that could kind of fill in and, and help the cause. But ultimately, as we all know, for the Giants, the key is going to be the development of Daniel Jones, the return of Saquon Barkley. They've got a lot of talent on that team, a lot of good players on defense. I think Nate Solder coming back will help the offensive line. Andrew Thomas was coming out at the end of the year. So I think the Giants arrow is pointing up. But again, so much of it depends on Barkley staying healthy, 
having that good running game, which will help the passing game, and then having Daniel Jones take another step forward this year. Jeff, I do want to back up a little bit. You you did a nice job there going through all the different all the different players that that the Giants have brought in. I want to back up first to Odenabo because he's not a player that that I know a whole lot about. Still a fairly young fairly young guy, still hasn't played, you know, an inordinate number of snaps. I guess my first question with him is you know the Giants play a base three four, and we all know that 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 every defense is hybrid now. Every defense has guys occasionally stand up and occasionally, you know, also with their hand in the ground. What is he for the Giants? Is he a a, a defensive a down defensive lineman? You know, maybe a five tech, or is he a guy they can use as an edge as a guy? as a guy who stands up on occasion, where do, where does he fit? I think he can do both. I think he could be an inside pass rusher where the Vikings used him from time to time. And, and I think with using his quickness inside and his strength, I think he can also be an outside edge rusher, which is, which was basically his role last year. The Vikings played a four three. So different defense, but I, I think he's got versatility in his game. And, and I think he's got athletic ability and, and speed and quickness. And he had, he had a great uh, tutor here and Andre Patterson, the Vikings defensive line coach who helped develop him. So I think there's really good upside for Afadi and, and really a, a, a low risk signing for the giants on just the one year, $2.5 million deal. So I think that he's going to prove versatile and can do a lot of different things. And he could be standing up. He could be down. He could be inside. He could be outside. It's going to be interesting to see how they decide to utilize him. Well, Patrick Graham is a guy who uh, is is certainly creative. So, so we shall see, you know, how he puts all the pieces together. I, I'm anxious to see if Odenabo can uh, can you know take a step forward for the Giants. I go back to the Giants a couple of years ago when Pat Shermer was still head coach letting Romeo Aquara get away. And they let Aquara get away ostensibly because they looked at Aquara as a 3-4 down defensive end who couldn't play the run. And they were transitioning to a 3-4 and I don't I, I I don't think they saw him as a fit. So and obviously you'd love to have Aquara's talent back, but but maybe Odenabo can can kind of be a makeup for the Giants for for making that mistake on Aquara a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think that I think that he can. I think he can play the run. He can play the pass. He is versatile. And yeah, and I think that as as I said, they they've got some talent in that team. I still I still think that they could use a a solid piece as a as a run stopper. I think letting Dalvin Tomlinson get away to the Vikings. I understand their priority was Leonard Williams. And, and so Tomlinson goes to the Vikings on that $11 million a year deal. And I know the Vikings are really excited about him shoring up their run defense, especially, and maybe a little better pass rusher than some people thought as an inside guy, and probably will be even more effective in a, in a, uh, a four, three defense and with, with uh, the four down linemen. And I think that, that he will have some success here in Minnesota 
And but but he's a guy they need to replace. And I'm not sure Austin Johnson is going to be the guy to do that. So they could be looking into the draft uh, at, at that defensive tackle inside nose tackle type position in that three four to, to see how they can replace him. All right, Jeff, before we really get into the draft, I want to talk. I want to ask you a little bit more about another one of the of the guys that you know pretty well. And you talked about Kyle Rudolph, but. I want to ask, first of all, how concerned should the Giants be about that foot injury? I mean, it turned up that, you know, that, that during his physical, uh, the Giants discovered that the foot injury, and we're still not sure what exactly that foot injury is, but turns out that it hadn't healed, needs surgery. He says he should be ready, you know, for week one, but. Do you, do you know what the injury actually is? And should there be any, any real concern, uh, you know, as far as his availability or effectiveness uh, for the regular season? Well, I'm sure there's concern. There always is when there's an injury uh, to a guy that a team's counting on and has invested whatever 14 million bucks over two years with. And I'm, I'm sure that, that they were disappointed that it hadn't healed better since since December when it occurred or, or late November. And so having that extra surgery and needing more time, I think the, as I said, the concern is he won't be able to do much in, in how much can he, can he do in training camp? For example, there is really probably going to be no off season program as far as OTAs. And, or if there is, it probably wouldn't take place until, till June or something. And, and sounds like it's not even going to happen. So everything's going to be virtual, but he's not going to be able to, to do a lot of training as far as running and, and lower body. Now I know Kyle well enough and that, that he will do whatever he has to do to get himself ready, to get himself in shape. He's got a lot of pride and, and he wants to show the giants that they made a good signing. He wants to show the Vikings they made a mistake and, so I fully expect him to be ready by regular season. The question is how much will he play in preseason and which will probably just be three preseason games. Once they approve the 17 game regular season schedule that, that should happen, I think this week. And so, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a concern, but I just think knowing Kyle Rudolph and, and what he's done in his career <laughs> and his work ethic, I think that he'll be ready to go come September but again how much will he be able to integrate into that offensive system in training camp that would be the concern and I wanted to ask you just from a front office perspective the way that this shook out you know obviously Kyle didn't take a visit to New York he came in basically there was an agreement um, two years I think 12 million before he took his physical so all of this was you know, the whole injury discovery sort of came about after there was an agreement. Um, and I was curious to see what was going to happen with the contract. And as, as it turned out, I don't think any adjustments were made to, to the contract at all. I'm curious if you, if you had, you know, what during your time, you know, as a GM or a president of an organization, if you went through anything similar to that and, you know, the, the way that, that, that it was handled, I mean, 
is there any criticism to be leveled at the Giants at all over over the way that was done? Well, I think it's difficult in this in this environment in in the pandemic environment uh, to be able to to bring guys in for visits. As you said, it's very rare that it ever happens, and and so you have to kind of trust what you're hearing and what you understand, and and it's just I'm sure a disappointment, but I would call it a a, a COVID era disappointment in that regard <laughs> that this happened and it's not something that's going to repeat over time in the future for the Giants or for other teams and I'm sure it's happened for other teams it never really happened for me because we were always able to bring players in for a physical before we ever signed them and so in this case just as we said just a, a difficult how it all unfolded because of the pandemic and and hopefully Kyle will be okay, but I, yeah, I wouldn't level a, a ton of criticism at the Giants for the situation because it's just hard to know exactly where it was at until they actually saw him. Right. Okay. You know, one of the other questions that I get, and and uh, again, I'm kind of asking you to keep your your front office cap on here, is in regards to the salary cap, and a lot of fans will will you know send me questions and say. The Giants had no money. They entered free agency at one point over the cap, had to make you know a couple of, of moves that, that they didn't want to make, cutting Kevin Zeitler and, and obviously not able to, to, uh, to keep Dalvin Tomlinson. But they did an awful lot with what seemed like not a whole lot of, of, of money. And, and I was asked the other day about the cap, and I said, well, to be honest, the cap really doesn't matter that much because teams will be able – what teams really want to do, they're going to figure out a way to do because you can move money around. And I think when I, when I think back on, on the way I answered that, that's probably not right. The cap matters because I think the Giants wish Kevin Zeitler was still part of their team. But the point is, I think the other point is, if a team and a player really want to get something done, no matter what the cap numbers are, they can get it done. Am I right, at least in that respect? Well, I think to a certain extent, I think if you're in a situation such as New Orleans was in coming into the season, where they were whatever, 70 million over the cap, then you don't really have a lot of wiggle room and it's really tough to get anything accomplished other than signing a Jameis Winston to a cheap deal and, and picking up money when Drew Brees retired and doing a few other things. But, but uh, the, the saints, for example, not a lot of wiggle room for them or some of the other teams, such as the Steelers and the bears that were tight. And, and I think that, but for, <laughs> for other teams, you've seen the creativity that they've been able to do. And these were teams that were closer to the cap level. And I'm talking specifically about the Tampa Bay Bucks, the Super Bowl champs and what they've done with all these voidable contracts with Brady, with Shaq Barrett, uh, with, with Levante David. I mean, some of these really key players that they were able to bring back and, and franchise Chris Godwin really a pretty amazing to be able to do all those things and do all these voidable deals, push all that money, kick the can down the road, as they say, but it's all going to come home to roost eventually. 
And teams such as the, the Bucks are just counting on the cap to take a big leap next year with fans back in the stands, with the new TV contracts that really don't kick in until the following year, but maybe they'll expedite some of the money and, and with the 17 games helping there. But I think that, that that's where what you said is accurate, that you can find a way to, to do some of these signings, such as the Giants did with, with Williams and Galladay and Adoree Jackson to free up some money and be able to bring some of these players in. And, and yeah, I think, I think Zeitler is a loss. I think Tomlinson is a loss, but we'll see how the replacements come and, and if they're able to grab some guys in the draft and there are a lot of good players in this draft coming up at a lot of these positions. So, so we'll see how it shakes out, but, but yeah, I think there's a certain amount of truth. You can find the room unless you're the Saints last this past <laughs> off season where it was just too tough. <laughs> Well, I look at I look at the Saints and maybe the Bucks, and and to a certain extent, you talk about kicking the can down the road, and there might be certain teams that look at it and say, "We're in our window right now," and two or three years down the road, when that bill comes due, our window is going to be closed, so it's not really going to matter. Now is now is the time, and and, and maybe that's what those franchises did. Yeah, and I understand that. I understand that thinking absolutely, and and it's it's what I did as a GM in Minnesota uh, in 1998. And at that point in time, we were coming off a playoff season. We were coming off a playoff win in New York, and going into the '98 season, and we had a number of really key free agents, guys like John Randall ends up in the Hall of Fame. Chris Carter was coming up for an extension. Robert Smith, our top running back, and. I did several long-term deals with them and did, and did some other restructuring of some contracts that were going to create some cap issues down the road, but we felt that that team was ready. And as it turned out, re-signing all those guys was really critical. And we had a 15 and one season in 98 in Minnesota. It didn't hurt to draft Randy Moss in the first round at, <laughs> at number 21, but, no, but again, again, we, we were able to, to, spread the cap into the future and have that great year. And, and fortunately for me, by the next year, I was in Tennessee. <laughs> with a, with a Super Bowl team, So I didn't have to worry about all those restructures I'd done and all those long-term deals to sign all those guys. But, and the Vikings still were a playoff team for a couple of years. And then they, they hit a little bit of a down trend that, that was going to happen because of the cap situation. And, and so that's what teams do when they're right there, when they're poised, as you said, and that's what the Bucks are thinking this year in trying to, to do all these restructures and all these voidable year contracts and giving Brady a, a, a five-year extension. That's really a two-year extension. Mm -hmm. And so it's, yeah. it sounds like crazy stuff, but there's, there's a, a logic to the situation that I understand. So, so, so you made a mess and then you just left it for, for other people. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. All I did. Right. And I, I went right. to, I went to Tennessee and, and unfortunately inherited a good situation there. <laughs> there you we, go. And we had a lot of good players there. So All right. it, it hey, ended up being a good move. Hey, Jeff, I want to take a quick break here. And, and then I do want to get into, into the draft a little bit with you. So Giants fans, we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsors. We'll come back and we'll talk draft with Jeff Diamond. 
All right, Giants fans, Ed Valentine back here on the Valentine's Views podcast, talking with former NFL GM and team president Jeff Diamond. And Jeff, we spent a lot of time before the break on on free agency. So let's talk draft. And and I have to admit, when when all of those trades got made on Friday, Miami, you know, moving down and then moving up and San Francisco moving up and, and the, the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, moving down from a giants fan perspective. There's two reactions. The first one is, Oh man, all those teams are moving for quarterbacks. There could be five quarterbacks that come off the board before the giants pick at 11. So all of that movement has got to be good for the Giants. So, I mean, just first of all, do you see it that way, that that all of that movement, every quarterback that comes off the board, you know, is is a player that's going to be there for the Giants at 11? Yeah, definitely. I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think that when I remember being in a lot of draft rooms with the Vikings and the Titans in my career and being very excited with, when – when we had a, a franchise caliber quarterback, such as Steve McNair in Tennessee, and when quarterbacks were chosen early before we were going to pick, I, I was always excited about that. We were excited. Our scouts were because we knew that that would push down a position player that we were really interested in uh, even further to us. So I, I think that that's great news for the Giants that if, if all these top quarterbacks are – are going off the board. If Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, all these guys are picked before 11. I think that's fantastic news for the Giants because then they could get whoever they're looking at. If it's an edge rusher, if it's a, if it's a corner uh, and some really good corners in this draft and, and, or perhaps an interior defensive lineman to replace a, a Tomlinson, a guy like Christian Barmore from Alabama. I mean, there, there are a lot of things that can happen for the Giants and I, I think that it's good news for them. The more quarterbacks that are taken early. And, and the other, the other part of looking at those trades is we know Dave Gettleman and, and we know he's a traditionalist and, and everybody knows that he's never traded down in the draft or, and, and the, and the other part of, of watching teams move around the board like that is, you know, giants fans are like, Oh man, how come our GM never does that? You know what I mean? Is it, is it really just a, a person, a personality thing with Dave? Is it just the way he was trained? Is it the fact that he's, you know, that he's a more, you know, that, that he's, that he's an older GM or, or is it just, you know, opportunity? Yeah, I think it's a combination. I, I think that that he's a personnel guy and, and he loves his draft choices and, and he's going to be very apprehensive about, about moving around or moving up or down. And, and uh, you move up, you're going to give up some of your, some of your draft choices down the, down the line. If you move down, I think that's always a risk. And I never like moving down, especially if you like a player at that spot. And so, and, and going into a draft to make moves at, that never really made a lot of sense unless you're really such as the 49ers. You're thinking I'm, I'm we're definitely going to take a quarterback at number three now. And so then there's logic to that type of move or, or the Rams a few years ago when they made the big trade with the Titans to, to move up to take Jared Goff and then Jared Goff only lasts four years there. And so it's just crazy how things turn out. 
But right. but yeah, I, I think that Gettleman is a guy who values his draft picks and and he thinks that as as we did and as our my scouting staff always did, we always kind of went into a draft thinking there were about eight or nine blue chip players in a draft and that we're going to take one of those blue chip players regardless of position. And so, I mean, Hey, don't be shocked if, if all of a sudden, even though they signed Kenny Galladay and John Ross and free agency, and they've got Slayton and Shepard. Well, if all of a sudden one of those top wide receivers slides down and Devonte Smith or Jamar chase, which they're not probably not going to be there, but who knows if something like that happens. And that's what happened to us in Minnesota in 98. When we took Randy Moss. We had Chris Carter. We had Jake Reed. They were both thousand yard receivers and everybody's saying, Oh, you need defense. You need defense. But this guy was such a superior talent that we ended up taking Randy Moss at number 21. And so I think that Gettleman, certainly he knows, he knows the needs of the team. He knows he'd like to add corner help. He knows he'd like to add interior offensive line help and maybe a defensive tackle, but if a, a superior talent at another position, other than, I don't think he's going to take a quarterback. Right. And I don't think, and I, and I think he's going to not take a running back because he's going to count on Barkley being back. Uh, and they did sign some, a back in free agency. Other than that, I think anything could happen. And, and I think that's the beauty of the draft that, that people like to do all these mock drafts and all these predictions, but what they're not taking into, into account is, if a great player slides down that they could take that player and, right. and it could even be an offensive tackle because Solder opted out last year. He's coming back. He's an older player at this point and they're counting on him. And they, and they took Andrew Thomas last year who came on towards the end, but Hey, who's to say that they don't take another tackle because there's some good tackles in this draft. All right. So I'm going to ask you, there's, there's, you mentioned wide receivers and, my favorite wide receiver in this class is Jamar Chase, the, the LSU wide receiver. And it's because he wins at all three levels. And it's because I watch him and 50-50 balls belong to him. He just They just belong to him. He wins 50-50 balls. And, and the way I put it is if I'm Dave Gettleman and Jamar Chase is at 11 somehow, I think I might break a hip getting that card in so fast. So, <laughs> so I, I, what I want to ask you is of among all those wide receivers and let's put Kyle Pitts in that group of wide receiver tight end. Let's put him in that group of what I call big four. Who's your guy? Well, my guy, and I'm biased as Rashad Bateman because we represent him. <laughs> <in Iowa. laughs> oh, no fair. No fair. I mean, but, but, but and, yeah, and but I, I hear you. I hear and, you. And, and, and Got to get a plug in for your guy. Of course, and, and he has his pro day at Minnesota on Thursday, so we're very excited to, to see how he performs and hopefully runs a sub 4-4, four, four and, and that'll elevate him. But I think certainly Chase, as you mentioned, and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle are, are the kind of the cream of the crop. And, yeah, Chase, it's hard to, to not like what he's done at LSU and just his production over the last several years and, and especially on that national championship team he and Justin Jefferson so productive. And then Jefferson comes into the NFL with the Vikings down the line as a, whatever the 20 something pick in the draft and ends up, 
uh, could have been the offensive rookie of the year was number two to Justin Herbert had a 1400 yard season. And so you can see what kind of talent Jefferson has and Jamar Chase, obviously similar out of that LSU system and, and maybe a little, even a little bit more speed and, and agility. But as I said, Jefferson's a great player, but Chase, to me, I think he and Devontae Smith are just so talented. The thing that worries me a little bit about Smith is he has, he has kind of that frail frame. So I'd want to get him in the weight room real quick. <laughs> and, 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 we, and we saw in, in the national championship game where he had whatever 200 yards receiving before he got hurt. Uh, and so he's a guy that, that certainly has great, great talent. And our team's going to push him down because he's 170 pounds. You think? No, I don't think so. He'll still be a top 10 pick and, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's even top five, but probably closer to top 10. He's just, he's just a, a really talented guy. And as I said, get him in the weight room, bulk him up a little bit. And then you're, you're looking at a, just a really explosive player for the future. But I, I love both those guys. And I need to ask you about a guy that gets connected to the Giants all the time. And you talk about needs. We talk about interior offensive line, interior defensive line, edge rusher, you know, wide receiver. If you want to add another one, this guy doesn't play any of those positions. And yet he's a guy that people connect to the giants all the time. And, and also because Joe judge went to the Penn state pro day the other day. So we're, we're talking about Micah Parsons off ball linebacker for Penn state. And the question for, for me isn't whether his talent deserves being the 11th overall pick in the draft. Cause I think he's the best defensive player in the draft. The question becomes how, from your perspective, do, how do you treat the character concerns with him? Are there really character concerns with him? And, and, and I'm just curious what you, you know, if you, if you have any sense of, of how NFL teams see the the alleged character concerns with Micah Parsons. Yeah, I think you obviously have to do your research on it and and that's where that's where the scouting process and, and your contacts come in. And it's so important to to understand what what kind of things that that are in his background and and are they legitimate concerns or are these things that were just kind of one off incidents and and so you have to do your your due diligence on, on players. But again, I think you also have to have to hope that a guy, if he made mistakes, it was when he was younger and, and can overcome them. I think having said that for me, that was always, it's a different situation. If you're talking about things as domestic violence or sexual assault or things like that, because, because I, I had no tolerance policies on those situations. And, um, I think that you have to be very, very cognizant of those types of, of deals, but they'll, they'll do their due diligence on, on Micah Parsons, but he's obviously a premier athlete. He, he can run, he can make plays and, and all the things that, that he has done and, and just physical and instinctive guy. And, and so, yeah, I, I think he's a guy that certainly could be a very bonafide pick at 11. If, if indeed they've done, their due diligence and they feel like, like they can get him in the right system. And, and I, I refer again to when we drafted Randy Moss in Minnesota and he had character concerns coming out, but we did our research and we actually had a scout 
who had coached with the Marshall coaches. And, and they had said that some of the things that Randy had had were in high school and, and, uh, and early, early college. And when he, when he lost his scholarship at Florida state and Notre Dame and, and signed with Marshall, but, but the Marshall coaches told our scouting department that he had never had any problems there. And, and, uh, and I also, before we drafted him, got, got Chris Carter on the phone and said, Hey, Chris, will you mentor him? Will you help make sure that, that he understands what it's like to be coming to the NFL and, and what the expectations are on and off the field. And, and Chris said, absolutely. I know what kind of talent he is and what he can do for our team. And, and so I think that's where the giants need to have that veteran type presence of veteran leadership uh, to be able to do that with, with a guy like Micah Parsons. And, and so whoever that player is on that giants defense that they can, that they can say, Hey, help mentor him or the coaching staff or whatever the case may be. All right. It's going to be an interesting, interesting deal to see how the NFL looks at, uh, at, at Parsons because the talent is there. Jeff, last thing for you that I want to really ask you about over the weekend, John Mara had some really interesting things to say about Daniel Jones. I mean, he, he was asked not whether he thinks Daniel Jones can be the quarterback of the future for the Giants, but he was asked point blank if he believes Daniel Jones is a Super Bowl caliber quarterback, is a guy that can win Super Bowls. And he said yes, without any hesitation at all. Um, I'm not sure Daniel Jones has proven that yet. I think that Daniel Jones has has shown a lot, but but – I guess the question is, are you surprised that the Giants ownership would be that adamant or, or that far in the guy's corner at this point in his career? Well, I think it's also a kind of a confidence booster for, for Daniel Jones. And I think that's part of, of John Mayer's motivation in, in making a statement like that, because obviously he's a talented guy, but I think that, that they want him to be exude extreme confidence as a quarterback, as a leader of the offense. And, and that's something a young player has to develop to a certain extent. And, and now Daniel Jones coming into the season, he's been there a couple of years now. And I think he's a guy that I still think has a lot of ability. I've been impressed with what I've seen, but I think it's also hard to judge a guy when you take away his top weapon, which was Saquon Barkley last year. And the receiving core was okay, but now it's been upgraded significantly at, at both wide receiver and tight end. And so, and, and the offensive line theoretically should be better in Andrew Thomas's second year and with Solder coming back after the opt-out. And if they can add some help on the, on the interior, they are going to miss Seitler, as you said, but, but if they can get some help there inside and, and maybe in the draft, and so I, I think that it's a, it's a smart move on John Mayer's part to build him up and, and to say positive things. And I think it's, to a cer- certain extent, the talent level is there. And I think this is a really show, show us year for Daniel Jones with these, the additions that they, that they brought. If Barkley is healthy and, and can get back to his production level that, that, that is expected 
of the second player taken in the draft. And, and so if, if those things happen, it, it would not surprise me if Daniel Jones turns that six and 10 into 10 and six this year and, and or 11 and five even, and has the giants in the playoffs. And I think that when you look at the NFC East, I think it's just wide open. Dallas certainly with, with Prescott coming back and, and what the kind of talent level that they've got in that football team, but their offensive line is not what it was. And, and how's that going to shake out Washington, Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in there. They've got a great defense. We know, but offensively, how, how's Fitzpatrick is Fitz magic going to show up in Washington? <laughs> we'll see about that. And Philly is, I think still in a rebuilding mode with, with Jalen hurts and, and so I, I think that they've got a lot of – they're looking to the future, obviously, with some of these moves they've made with, with picking up extra first-round picks in the future. And so I, I think that you're really looking at a, at a three-horse race in the NFC East. And I, I include the Giants in that category. I, I think that they're going to be in the race this year. I think they are st- taking steps forward every year. But, again, the key to me is can Barkley stay healthy – can Daniel Jones continue his ascension? Can the defense continue to develop as they've done under Graham? Jason Garrett with in his second year with Daniel Jones, I think that'll help the cause. And Joe Judge is the second-year head coach. Has, he's shown some good stuff that he's still a young head coach, and, and so he still needs to continue his development too. So I think the Giants can be competitive this year in the NFCs, definitely. It'd be nice to cover a good football team for a change, Jeff. (laughs) All right. Hey, Jeff, always appreciate your coming on the show. Thank you very, very much. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get back with you maybe after the draft and uh, get some, some of your thoughts on, on what the giants do there. Giants fans. Thank you very, very much for listening. Please remember, stay safe out there, take care of each other, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.